After 32 years, I came out of the closet as a gay Christian pastor. Finally, on the outside of that suffocating prison, I'm looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. It's not enough to become informed. We have to do something about the harm we're still witnessing within systems and spaces we've been loyal to for so long. It's time we become reformers. Welcome back to Confessions of a Reformer. We are beginning a new series today called Sex After Church. Despite people on my team protesting that title, I think it's the, good, the right way to go. Um, I'm basically going to be interviewing a few people on the subject of sex, specifically having been raised in evangelical culture. So um, this episode today is from my friend Nick Gulick, who is a sex coach. Um, he deconstructed and walked away from evangelicalism a long time ago and is an intimacy coach now, but we'll also be hearing from a couple of other friends of mine um, who you know, have had their versions of having to pull apart purity culture and looking in the eyes of the beast and like, where did this come from? How did we get here? Is this actually serving us? So I'm hoping to you know, open up some conversation and dialogue around this, this subject and you know, hopefully it's educational and inspiring and thought provoking at the very least. So thanks for being here. Um, let's get into it. All right, everybody, welcome back to Confessions of Reformer. Um, I'm your host, Mike Maestro. Got a special guest here today. Very excited for y'all to meet Nick. So I want to give you a little intro on how Nick and I met, and then we're going to get into the things. Nick and I met on a dating app, right, Nick? And we went on a, a date at, like, Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went on a coffee date. Yeah, and I felt a little nervous because, like, in Nick's bio, I think for his profession, it said... Coat, sex coach or something and I was like what the what does that mean and I was I was still like newly clawing my way out of purity culture and all that so I was like oh god what does that mean but also very interested in like facing my own ignorance and you know sheltered life and whatever so I went into that experience kind of like ready and bracing myself for okay I don't know and who knows and whatever and the interesting thing is the conversation was so expansive and at one point toward the middle end of the conversation I found myself feeling particularly sad. And I, and I think I also felt safe enough with Nick that I actually told him that. Nick, do you remember that? I do. No, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was really beautiful and really vulnerable. Thanks. So we'll talk about that moment. I didn't mean to bring that up. But anyway, before <laughs> we get into that, I just wanted to give everyone here a background on how Nick and I even met. Um, I've just been very impressed with Nick. Um, he said some, he has said some things to me I've never heard from anybody before that was jarring and new and what, so I kind of wanted maybe in some sadistic way, wanted to subject all of you all to the same experience I got to have where it just, <laughs> like, you know, some walls get blown out of what you think. Anyway, so this is Nick. Nick, do you want to say hi and just introduce everyone and in however it is you would want to present, like, who are you? What are you doing in the world? Do you want to say hi, Nick? Yeah. So who I am is... Um, connection and spirit and fire and healer and guide and presence. Ooh, ooh, I am presence. Yeah. Um, what I'm doing in the world, um, as you mentioned, I am a coach. So I have a I have a, a, a coaching practice, which is a traditional life and business coaching practice, but um, more so life coaching. But as you mentioned. A large part of that is sex and relationship coaching, intimacy coaching. It's funny because I do put that on like bios for, for apps that I'm on. I get so many people asking, like some people are like, oh, that's really cool. And some people think that it's a joke, like, oh, a sex and relationship coach. They don't realize that that's like a real thing. Uh, or they think it's a real thing, but they're intimidated by it. So I often go through with like, should I even have this on there? I don't know. But I want to be, you know, honest. I always like to say that 
I'm a coach. I'm not an expert. I'm not a master. I'm not a, you know, I am learning just like you are, just like everyone else is. It's not sex expert. <laughs> it is is sex coach or intimacy coach. Um, and, and I should say the sex part is a very small part of that. It is more about relationships and, and intimacy. So that's what I'm doing in the world right now, among a few other projects. Cool. So here's the deal. When I set out to do this podcast, knowing I wanted to interview people, I want this space to be free. Um, so I've given Nick permission to say whatever he wants to say, however he wants to say it. He doesn't need to clean up his language or the way he presents something because my audience might be, you know, <laughs> apparently my podcast has a clean rating, which is great. That's great. Um, this episode may be explicit and I want all of us just to accept that. And then we all get to work through what's offensive to us. What don't we like? What don't we agree with? Like that's on us. We get to work it out. I want Nick to not have to manage any of it. He just gets to say whatever he wants to say. So Nick, please be you have permission to be fully yourself and say what you want, how you want. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that first date we had, I was struck by how explicit, I think that's the right word you were about, you know, sexual experiences and your attitude around sex. I remember your attitude being distinctly, not just not negative. It was like surprisingly positive about things that I'd been taught my whole life were taboo, were perverse, were unacceptable or whatever, immoral. Um, some of the things you said I'd never even heard of before. And you were talking about them with this like glint in your eye. And there's like this passion and art to it. And I'm like, what is happening? And so through that experience toward the end of it, I found myself surprisingly sad. I'm like, oh, and I, you know, confessed, like, I feel sad. Um, do you remember what you said to me when I told you that? I don't actually, <laughs> I would love to know what I said. <laughs> I don't know that I know verbatim. I just remember being surprised at how intuitive you were and like responsive to that. And like, also just, I think the word is covering. I would use you like came and covered me in the midst of that vulnerable confession. Um, but you were basically like, Hey, I think that there are some parts of you that, you know, you get to explore that you haven't really been allowed to. And, you know, some, a, a, an extent of your own humanity that you get to recover and, and own. And I was like, Oh, I think you're right. What's happening. Why is this person telling me stuff about my life? I don't even know what's going on. You know, it was like such a jarring experience. Do you remember that? I do. And you know, when we, when we first met, you were still, I mean, you, you knew about your sexuality, you knew who you were. And you were still discerning what that meant, like how to be in the world, right? And publicly anyway, mm, right. right? And, yeah. but also for yourself in a lot of ways. I'm sure I thought then, and I still think that it's, what an amazing opportunity to, you know, it's a reminder that no matter where we are in our lives, right? That we can always grow, we can always change. <laughs> Even if you make a choice today, you can change your mind tomorrow. Um, and not that you chose to be gay, but you know, you chose to live out. You chose to be fully authentic with who you are in the world, and and which I think is really beautiful and amazing. I know that you're still walking that journey right now. There's this grief and this, as you said, sadness, right? Like we have to grieve sometimes when we when we let go of things, or when we sort of I don't know. I often think of like snakes, right? Like when we shed that that skin, right, of our old old self, you know, to move forward in the world. But but also, it's really exciting that we get to move forward in the world. <laughs> totally. <laughs> For sure. Totally. So yeah, thanks. Um, just a little more background on you, Nick. I, I, obviously, I know some of this, but um, would you mind sharing for the audience? Like, I think I was still pretty Christian when we met, right? Initially, I still had a lot of Christian values still like dictating my worldview and permission and all that. Would love to hear your background. On yeah, yeah. Specifically yeah. to being a queer man and Christianity. <sighs> yeah, my relationship with Christianity, with religion um, is is very interesting. And, and also, uh, I, I 
see it as a gift. It, it also taught me a lot. So neither of my parents are religious. They both grew up in environments where they were around churches, they were going to church. My mom's family has a lot of preachers <laughs> in it, um, but they themselves, when I was growing up, were not. Um, but I would go to church with um, my great grandmother, my my mom's grandmother. From the time I was in kindergarten until I graduated high school, I went to a private Christian school that was affiliated with the Churches of Christ, which is much more conservative uh, evangelical denomination. And so, a lot of a lot of indoctrination there. What is really interesting about all of that is that I was always a creative kid. I was always an artsy kid. I may have experienced some bullying. In fact, I'm I'm sure I did. But I was still allowed to be very free and creative, and everyone knew. Even if I wasn't out, that I was gay. We just didn't we just didn't talk about it. But yeah, so that was my background. Then later on, while I'm in college, I went to school originally for music. And so I was working in all these churches, um, primarily Methodist and Episcopal churches, and also just kind of like seeking my own way. My mom is also very much a, a seeker. She's not religious, or I just probably would say she's spiritual, but you know, I remember getting in trouble at school in kindergarten for knowing what my Zodiac was. I was talking about, you know, being a Capricorn or something. And I, and I was sort of scolded, you know, why, why would you know that at five? Well, because my mom told me, right. Or, um, you know, you know, I was really interested in, in Buddhism later and still am to some extent, you know, I have so many peers, so many friends, uh, and acquaintances who grew up in those same environments who were queer or gay and went through reparative therapy, were sent away to special camps, you know, because they were, and that never happened to me. I'm, I'm very fortunate, but you know, we would watch those really, you know, we, we would watch these videos about how it's bad to be gay. And, and these are all the things that are to happen if you're gay, or we would watch the really horrific videos of a, a body abortions they had these reality houses so like this these are the these are the evils of alcohol these are the evils of sex like and for teenagers and they would have like yes 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 and these are like the things and um you know there's and there's trauma in that right sorry did that answer your question i was all over the place there, yeah no but... it's great i think i think i think you did yeah i think the goal okay. in that question for me was just simply what is your relationship with christianity <laughs> right and it wasn't know, so simple was it <laughs> <laughs> it was colorful and telling and i think that was helpful so yeah like just recognizing you you know you're not like some far off other coming to the this conversation not having any grid or background with christianity you were raised in that world very yeah. connected to the culture because of that background and with your journey the, and spiritual formation as you're saying the way that it played out i'm assuming purity culture was part of that environment right so when i say the phrase purity culture a lot of christians immediately get what that means what do you what comes up for you when i say that does that make sense right away or are you basically interpreting it what's interesting is that that was a bigger factor in my scholastic career so at school that was a bigger thing now the churches that i went to of course they would kind of talk about that but um uh growing up but at school, everybody would talk about, oh, you you know, you've got to remain chaste. You've got to remain pure. Um, we have took the pledge and, um, you know, I'm going to save myself for marriage. And the thing too, like a lot of people had purity rings, right? Like, or bracelets to signify their purity. And it's, and looking back on it, it's so, it's so creepy. Like it's, it's really creepy because, you know, especially in this day and age, there's this whole movement to vilify queer folks and say that, you know, we're, uh, queer folks are grooming children, right? Or over-sexualizing children, or we can't teach 
sex ed in school because it sexualizes children. But we talk about purity culture, right? Which is still about sex, right? We're, we're still talking about sex in some way. Even if you're teaching abstinence only, you still have to talk about sex, right? And so um, it, it's just, it, to me, it's, it's also this whole notion of, of purity. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to be pure, right? And how do you, how do you define purity in so in, in so many ways like it, it feeds into all these systems of oppression right it feeds into misogyny it feeds into a purity culture feeds into to racism even right right because pure is white right and um i mean it just it just feeds into all of these these systems yeah so of course i know exactly what what you're talking about or at least what it brings up and even like my body right now what i'm feeling is like ugh, like it's it, I just, I got really tense in my body. <laughs> Appropriately so. So I guess I'm curious for your journey, when, was there like a moment or like a line of demarcation or an event or something where you were like going from whatever form of good Christian kid you status you probably enjoyed at some point in your life to, you know what, I refute this. I don't agree with this. I don't subscribe to these ideals anymore. Was there a transition moment or period or like, yeah, how did that, how did you go from growing up in Christian world to being where you are now with your thoughts and, and views on sex? Yeah. Well, what's, what's interesting is that, um, like I said, I've always been very outgoing and outspoken and I was a worship leader and, and all of those fun things. And so, um, and yet, even though we didn't talk about it, everyone knew I was gay, basically. I mean, people would still say, oh, you know, do you have a girlfriend? People would ask me, do you have a girlfriend? Or who are you dating? Or you're going to make a woman very happy one day. And it was always older church ladies, you know? And I'm like, uh-huh, okay, right? Most everyone knew. I had some really close friends that I, my best friend and his family, I I was very close to them. They're like my second family. I, they always knew, right? It was just, it just we just didn't even talk about it. And and it was, they had, an, it was an affirming environment. Now, they are totally like, atheists they reject all religion but they it was a because of that it was a very welcoming and open um environment for me to just be who i was so i came out essentially in high school now we had a rule so at school everyone knew i was gay but we just didn't talk about it because if we talked about it i would have been dismissed i would have been asked to leave were you right? at a private school so, a private christian school yes oh okay so so yes yeah, so so there was that um and then people uh, at church knew, but again, we just didn't talk about it, but because of this, right, and I, there were no, like, again, I am very lucky, there weren't any repercussions, I couldn't be out and open, right, whatever that means, right, um, I certainly wasn't going to march down the street with a rainbow flag, the issue with that is, right, that even, even when people know, and they're like, okay, that's cool, like, it still causes shame, right? It still, it still causes shame. I would, I was having lots of sexual experiences with people, but I was sneaking around, right? I was hiding. It was, it was shameful. And, and this isn't just for queer kids, right? This, I think this is for a lot of kids because we, in, in, in the church, we make sex something that's bad and dirty and shameful. And so, you know, I look back and I did a lot of really risky things. Um, when I, you know, when I was in high school and I could drive, <clears throat> <laughs> and yeah would you mind yes. sharing what you mean by risky things oh yeah yeah no no no. I would go I would go hook up with these with these guys who were you know sometimes my age sometimes in college 
right? But I would like tell my parents that I was staying at so-and-so's house or because they were not together. They didn't like, they didn't, they didn't always follow up with me. And so I, I, and I would go like hook up with people, go meet up like, and, or stay weekend. No one would, no one knew where I was. Right. And looking back, it was so risky, so dangerous. Right. And, um, but, but, um, had I been able to be out, I think, I think maybe, right? Maybe, maybe it would have been, uh, maybe I would have been more willing to talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. Or say, oh, this is what I'm doing, or this is, you know, but, um, but I, I think for me, um, yeah, and for a lot of people, right? Because we have to hide, because we have to, we, we, it, it's shameful, right? We, we do things like that. Um, and I think too, for me anyway, part of that was also seeking something that I needed, right? Like seeking out love or affection or care or whatever, right? You know, was I using protection then? Absolutely not, right? Like, again, very risky. And I consider myself very lucky that nothing bad happened bad. Yeah. When did you go from sneaking around, doing things in the dark, because you're still maintaining this Christian status at your school or whatever, to like being outspoken clear definitive about like yeah I don't subscribe to those attitudes or restrictions anymore yes yeah yeah yeah. okay so I think part of this was so that I was already kind of on that on that journey anyway right and then um I think for me going off to school going off to college when I graduated and I went to a I didn't you know I'd been in a I'd done private Christian school I didn't want to do that anymore so I went off to big state school and a big sec school public school university of tennessee it was very eye-opening i mean number one i was you know i'd come from a very small southern town that is pretty homogenous to this place that is um huge and multicultural and um and i and i went from being a big fish in a small pond to a big fish and a huge pond right and so there was just so much to see and do and explore and um it kind of just cracked me open I I will say that even like for the first couple of years in college I probably still held on to certain like beliefs but I wasn't going to I was I had church jobs right so I was singing and I was like I was getting paid essentially to sing in churches um, which is common for a lot of music students. My freshman year of college, a requirement was uh, a literature. We had to have a literature credit of some sort, and or right, I forget. It was some English thing, and um, there were all of these sections of the course, and each of them had a theme. And there was one that was queer theory. So here I am, my spring of my freshman year, my second semester, and. I was essentially taking this, I, was, I guess it was a writing or critical thinking course, but it was it was all queer theory, right? And the, the person who was teaching it was a, a grad assistant. He was, he was working on his PhD in something, but he was very out and very queer and was bringing in all the scholarship and theory around this. And, um, and it was, you know, it was just really eye-opening to me. That really opened my my worldview. Like I said, I'd always kind of been open. Yeah, what's interesting, what the reason I'm pausing is because I don't, it's an interesting question because I don't think I had actually ever attributed anything to that class in particular until just now. The flip side to that is also in college, I had a really good friend, really close friend who was very out and very outspoken. And um, he would march in the parades and he would protest. And and mind you, I'm 1920 at this point, right? So this would have been after my freshman year, but I said, oh, I'm not one of those gays who needs to march, right? 
I don't need to be out there. Now, fast forward to I'm I'll be 35 next week, and um, I'm on the pride of or I'm I'm on the board of our local Pride Festival, and I do a lot of advocacy work, and you know it's amazing what age and experience does for you. Um, even as as out uh, outspoken as I've always been. I've still, there was shame, like, oh, I don't need people to know that I, you know, I'm gay, but I don't need to be out waving flags about it, right? This internalized homophobia that we all learn um, often, especially if you're a church kid in the church, it was just a very organic thing. You being gay was a big spearhead into you confronting and changing your beliefs and ideas around sex. Yeah, I've always been, you know, I'm, I'm also an artist, right? So there, and not that that means anything here, but I, I've always been sort of, um, had this sensuality or in the body, right? I started subscribing to Yoga Journal, I think my freshman year of high school, which was also a, something else that people rolled their eyes about at the Christian school that I went to, right? It's like, oh, yoga. Um, but but for me, it was about, um, it was just about being in the body and getting touched by my body. I wasn't like, I wasn't out, my, my school is a big sports school, but I didn't play any of the sports, right? I wasn't like in my body. I wasn't an athletic kid necessarily, but I was in my body from like a, a mindfulness or, or a somatic point of view. So think of yoga in college as a performer, that is very much a part of those programs about very much getting in your body and through different modalities. I don't always like my body, but I love my body. Often in our culture and take sex, take religion out of it. We divorce ourselves from our body, right? We, it's like, we're very much in our heads when in actuality, like we send more signals come up to the brain than the brain sends down. And in fact, we have these other brains within our bodies, right? And there's new research. There's, there's this whole thing, like the stomach as a brain is all thing. Anyway, being in my body also helped. Um, you know, again, I was a kind of promiscuous kid anyway. Um, and part of that was seeking approval, seeking love, seeking whatever. Um, so yeah, I think all those things combined really opened me up um, to having some pretty positive attitudes about sex. And um, have certainly, you know, led to to where I am today. And what I can also say is that it's still like, like I said earlier in the intro, like it's still a journey. Like I'm still learning. I'm still I'm still growing. Um, and things that I think aren't an issue, like the internalized homophobia that I mentioned earlier, right? Until I said it just now, I'm like, oh, I guess I did. I guess I do have some internalized homophobia that I uh, that's unresolved, or something will happen. Um, that gets brought up like a sense memory or a trigger or something. And I'm like, oh, like I thought I had resolved that. I thought that that was, that was over with, right? Um, but that's why I like to say that all of this, all this work, all this self-improvement work or growth work or deconstruction, if you will, is it's journey work. It's not destination work. It is journey work. We don't finish this work until, until we die. Hi, Mike here. I just wanna make sure you know that I'm a coach and a consultant. I specifically work with people through their queer journey or their religious baggage, and there's a link below this episode if you wanna work with me. All right, let's get back to the episode. Okay, I remembered something you said to me in our initial encounter that I wanna bring up. This is a bit jolting and out of nowhere, <laughs> but I kinda of wanna- Should I worry? Should I take a deep breath and brace myself? <laughs> oh no, I'm sure you're fine. I was the one who was like, what are we talking about? One of the things you yeah. said that I was like, wait, what? You, we were talking about orgasms, I think. And yeah. you were talking yeah. about 
Things you talk about on a first date, you know. <laughs> it was your fault we were talking about this. But um, you were talking about having, I don't remember how, but like orgasms in different ways than I had ever even heard of before. I don't remember what you said to me, but I was like, wait, what are you talking? At that point, I basically was like only aware that at least for a guy, there's only one way for us to experience an orgasm. And you were like, that's not true. And I was like, what? So um, do you remember this? I do. Yes, I do. And um, I mean, is there a question in there or you just want me to talk about orgasms? <laughs> <laughs> yes, both. My question okay. for you, and then please feel free to, to run with it is, um, well, I guess I just want to say, I think there are a lot of people listening right now who are coming from the same place that I was, where like, at least for dudes, like there's really one way that guys experience an orgasm and you opened my mind to a possibility. I think when you said this, I was like, wait, do I not even understand my own body? I think that was part of my grief was like, I don't even understand how my own body works. And the reason I don't is because I've been told my whole life not to. I've been trained in all the different ways, right? And indoctrinated even to vilify my own body and what it's capable of and what it can experience and not explore. And I, I think the sadness I felt was like this grief and sorrow against my own body that I had so caged it that I hadn't actually even given it permission to be its full potential, if you will. I don't even know what I mean by that. I just, that's what it felt like, you know? So can yeah. you enlighten us, please? I mean, I, there's a question in there and yes, go for it. As I said earlier, I'm not an expert or a master. And a lot of us don't know our own bodies, right? We are literally disembodied. We're told not to talk about our bodies. We're told not to explore our bodies, right? Like when was the last time you just like stared in a mirror or not even that, just like literally just like touch, just like, studied your hands, right? Like we're not even talking, we're not even, we're not even getting below the belt yet. Just like, look at your hands, just study them. And maybe you don't know what the parts are, the names are like, you know, maybe these are your fingers, right? You don't have to know all of the internal and external anatomy, right? But just like actually study your hands. Can you like feel the tips of your fingers right now? Like if you focus your attention there, right? So um, I think you're absolutely right. But I think, I think we don't know our own bodies. So I think that's a start. I think also, if I ask you, Mike, where did you learn about sex? That's a good question. I think movies, um, TV shows, like basically what's in the media. Um, yeah. And then later in high school, like my friends. And then, sure. you know, porn comes after that. And that's yeah, right. Basically all, yeah. So I think a lot of us learn about, um, especially if you're, you're our age, um, but maybe even older than that you you learned about porn you learned about porn you learned about sex through porn you learned about it in the movies um you learned about it from your friends right so like um not in a comprehensive way right probably not in a scientific or like you know a place where you could ask a lot of questions and um so when we start exploring our bodies we think that what we see in porn or in films or in a magazine is the way that it's supposed to be. For the most part, a lot of that's produced. Take, let's, let's take sex out of it. Let's take eroticism out of it. I often, throughout the day, I have, a, I have a, a regular mindfulness practice. Like I check in with my body. I'm scanning my body. What do I feel right now? Like, and I can tell you right now, my, um, I've got a little bit of a twinge in my shoulder. I think I slept funny last night, right? And, and I was, I mean, as I'm sitting here, I'm just like, oh, where do I feel? Where's my attention right now? Right, so I think that's a piece of this, being aware of our bodies. Now, the other piece to this is um, learning some basic anatomy. You know, for penis holders, for you, for penis owner, could you, can you name all the parts? If you like, if you were to look at your cock right now, could you name all the parts of the anatomy? 
Probably not. Okay, it may not be important, but there are some major structures that that are important, right? If you were a vulva owner, could you name all of the, the parts and structures? And I would say for a lot of vulva owners, they also can't do the same. And in fact, a lot of people call it what they see on the outside, the vagina, but it's the, what you see on the outside, that's a vulva. It's made up of the, the labia majora and the, 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 the smaller labia and just all the parts and pieces. My point to all of this- Nick, I thought you were gay. Well, that's a, that's, a other, that's a whole other complicated conversation too, Mike, that we can have. Why am I talking, you asked me about organ and I'm over here talking about the body and anatomy and all of these things. When we think about orgasms, right, especially people who have penises, we think, oh, the only orgasm is, is an ejaculatory orgasm, that that is the only way that we experience an orgasm. And that that is one, that is fabulous. Ejaculation is great, right? And that is certainly one type of orgasm. But um, what you were talking, what you were referring to, what we were talking about is whole body orgasms, right? So like, um, which may or may not have ejaculation. And, and so I had to stop people, you and I was like, wait, you're saying you can orgasm without ejaculating? I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yes. The fact that we are talking to a bunch of deconstructed Christians right now, I can say this. And especially anyone who grew up in a charismatic stream of things or a holiness or a Pentecost or whatever, you know that thing that happens um, in a service that when there's this, it's like ecstatic, right? And we see this in other religions, not just in Christianity, but that thing that heightened like thing that happens and it's very corporate, right? What we what would call corporate worship, right? So like everybody is like- Like heightened. a frenetic energy. Yes, 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 yes. This is a very like gross comparison, but you you that's a whole body orgasm. If you're in that moment, if you are filled with the spirit, right? you're probably orgasming and you just wouldn't call it that, right? You just wouldn't call it that. But it is that like, it is that thing that happens like when you get the tingles from head to toe and you are just in ecstasy. The reason I compare it to that for, for your audience is because, you know, pleasure and joy, desire, those are birthrights, full stop, right? If you believe that you were created by a God, by God, by through some intelligent design, right? Then that entity gave you this ability to feel pleasure and to feel joy. Like, right? You have all of these juicy, juicy nerve endings just giving you. And, and what I will say too, is that it's one thing to do it by yourself, but to do it with another person or other people, right? And for them to give you that, that, that joy, like there's so much research now, neurobiological research that talks about things like the way that our neurons, the way that our, our whole system like responds to other bodies and other people, uh, we have these interesting things called like mirror neurons, right? So like you and I, if we were like in person right now, or it's, it can happen through a screen too. Like there's all this stuff happening and we're like, we are mimicking one another. Like our, our breathing would sync up. Um, there's this whole notion of co-regulation, right? So like if we touch, right? Like what happens when someone that you really care about touches you or embraces you, like think about that feeling, right? So there's all this really cool stuff going on, but we are taught that that is that feeling that is shameful and bad. We shouldn't feel pleasure, right? Because that is, that is sin, right? It is sinful to feel pleasure. It is sinful to feel joy. Say, okay, well, we can't even go there. We can't even think about 
a, a, a whole body orgasm, much less anything else. So what do we do? Well, the only orgasm that we have access to, of course, is ejaculation, if you're a penis holder. A lot of times we try to do that based on what we see, right? Or what we think we know about it. And most guys that I know, they have what I call old faithful. They have one stroke, that's it, right? There are hundreds, hundreds of ways to stroke your cock. And the same is true for, for women and clitoral st stimulation, right? Like there are hundreds of ways to stimulate your, your, your clit. Like just, you know, it's about exploring. And I'm, again, not the expert. I'm not the master here. Go buy a book, go Google. There are videos, literally videos. I think the first step is just like getting into your body. Just like getting to know your body. Just literally getting to know your hand, right? or your face or your feet or whatever. What are you defining as an orgasm then? I guess let's mm. get like more specific about what are we even defining as an orgasm if it doesn't entail ejaculation? It can entail ejaculation. For me, an orgasm is that ecstatic state, right? That I'm talking about where my my heartbeat is probably elevated. I'm, there's, this, there's this physiological reaction that happens, right? There's the tingles and there's the elevated heart rate and I'm probably breathing. <laughs> really shallow and rapidly. And um, I'm sure there's a better definition for an orgasm. And I hope that there is a sexologist out there listening to this or someone who is an expert who will write in and say, this is the clinical definition of an orgasm. But for me, it is that it is that ecstatic, elevated state. It is, it is, um, mm, this is going to be loaded, but it is divine. It is sacred. Sex is sacred and divine, which is why I think that it is important to honor it in this way, right? To be intentional about it. Um, now, that's not to say that a quick hookup can't be fun. Sure, have fun with that. But I'm talking about this, mm, just this juicy, um, I know, don't you love the word juicy? It's juicy, so, so there good. it is again. Yeah, juicy, yeah. <laughs> just this, just this mm, sumptuous, yeah, that's, that's what I'll say there. Yeah. I, th I just Googled orgasm and it says a climax of sexual excitement characterized by feelings of pleasure centered in the genitals and in men experienced as an accompaniment to ejaculation. I would say that that definition is probably written by old white men. <laughs> it's not just the genitals. It's all, it's all over. What you see of your penis, like that's just the outside. Like there's more of your penis inside. Yeah, I'm blowing your mind here. The, the clitoris, the clit is not just what you, what is external. Like it, in fact it goes like inside and, and it's like, it's huge. Learn your body. Um, but I'm not saying you have to be clinical with it. Or if you are partnered, like go explore with your partner, like actually go study, go study each other, make it fun. In a very traditional conservative environment, sex is only for procreation. And it is only in the confines of um, heterosexual couple who is married, that whole mentality makes it transactional, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? It's like, I'm, I, we're going to have sex and I'm going to give you uh, sperm and it's going to swim up and create a baby and that's it, right? You're going to pop out a baby. Like this is, it is very transactional. And what I want you to know, what I want you to hear is that sex is fun and it is, it can be transformational. It is hard for me to believe, if you believe in a God, that God would give you all of this stuff, all of these ways to have experienced joy and pleasure if you weren't supposed to like, feel that or use it. Of course, there's that whole really toxic narrative that says, well, you know, you're meant to be tested and tried and all of that stuff. But the God that, that I sometimes believe in is, is emancipatory and 
a liberator and you know well so i want to ask too when it comes to the orgasm thing before we, move on, <laughs> before we move on from there you were talking about being at like a workshop or some kind of thing where people were doing i don't know like being like learning about i don't know if it was massage or like central massage or something but like getting people to an a full body orgasm i think is what you were calling it and it didn't include ejaculation and i was like what are you talking about can you maybe go more on the experiential side of this to give them an idea of what you're talking about? I think most people in the mainstream would be familiar with this notion of Tantra, right? Most people have probably heard the word Tantra. You may not know what it was, or Tantric. In the Western world, especially in the States, what what we think of is is this sexual understanding, right? And it's about it's about energy. It's about um, there's breath work, there's, there's embodiment, there's energy exchange, there's sex. A lot of Christian folk will probably know the word eros, um, especially uh, because it's, you know, uh, it's, it's Greek and it's one of the types of love that Sinclair talked about. And it was about, you know, relational love or what we might call romantic love and things like that. You know, so it's love energy and there may or may not be a, a sexual component to that. And by the way, like sex is not just about genitals, right? So I, I just want to point that out too. We've talked a lot about genitals and of course it's provocative and it's fun conversation, but sex can be a lot of different things. There's so much out there around erotic touch and again, like connecting with other people, right? And you maybe you you can do erotic touch clothed. You can do it unclothed. Erotic liberation is freedom. It's about releasing shame. It's about releasing stigma around, you know, like, oh, are people going to judge the way that my body looks or I hate my body. So are other people going to hate it too? Or, you know, just all of those kinds of things, but it can also be about love and, and romance and relationships and, um, and all of those kinds of things. So as you're, as you're going out and you're exploring, right. As you're learning about your body and you're learning about yourself, go out and explore what is available to you. Really take the time to explore this, this, you know, this beautiful creation that you are and explore this, this divine gift of pleasure. Mike, if I ask you, what's your favorite dessert? What's your answer? It'd probably be creme brulee. Oh, what describe the creme brulee, creme brulee to me? Like, what do you like about it? Well, I love the crystallized, like hard, sugary, almost like it's like ice or glass, but it's like sugar. And then the creamy custard underneath and getting to eat them together. The, it's like a it's so sweet, but milky and crunchy, but soft at the same time. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, to, I like creme brulee too. Today, if you asked me, my favorite dessert would be carrot cake. And I like carrot cake that has like, that has like cream cheese um, frosting on it. And it's like spicy. And I like carrot cake that is moist and it has like real pieces of carrot in it and nuts. And, um, and the reason I ask you that is because we both like dessert, right? But our favorite kinds of dessert are very different. And I like creme brulee, but it, it's not my favorite today. It might be my favorite tomorrow, but it's not my favorite today. So I say that to say that, that none of us are alike. And I think it's important for us to develop sort of libraries of, of language, but also desires. And we've been talking about sex and we talk about orgasms and all those fun, provocative things. And those were very much about the self, right? 
and and maybe you're asexual and you're only about you know that and you know i invite you to explore with other people to explore with the partners or maybe not even with a partner like when was the last time you sat down with your friends like a close friend who you might share everything with like and talk about sex right or talk about articulate like your desires or your or your fantasies right there are folks probably listening who this is scary for like you were having like a reaction in their bodies right now right they're like oh yeah i and and maybe even you like um <laughs> that this is, that this is, that this is scary. And, um, you know, I think that, that sex relationships, intimacy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very vulnerable. And we're talking about like really personal things, you know, in our society, we're, we're told not to talk about this stuff. Right. And I want to normalize these conversations. Like I want to normalize us, us being able as friends to talk about desires and, kinks and and whatever you're into right and without judgment without shame without fear of repercussion and that's not to say that like there aren't settings in which you should or should not do that right like I don't I don't know what it's different for everybody right it may not be safe for you to talk about sex at work I encourage couples you know to have an honest conversation about uh or throuples or whatever have an honest conversation about what it is that you desire Right. Um, I think about people that have been together for a long time and I have, I have, I have clients, I have friends, I have colleagues who talk about, you know, their relationships getting stale. Right. And more often than not, it's because they're not communicating. They're not talking, you know, sex is about communication. Relationship is about communication. Uh, I think what I find the more that I do this is that ultimately it all boils down to communication. Right, we can talk about anatomy, which is important. We can talk about orgasms, <laughs> but I think ultimately, uh, you know, what we should be talking about is how to effectively communicate with one another. Right, how to have a conversation about about this stuff. Cool. Well, before we venture past the subject of sex, I still have a couple more sex things I want to talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. I, ask about sex. About. I love it. So <laughs> let's talk about sex, baby. When we had our initial conversation, I remember this also came up for me. <laughs> you talked about different forms of kink, and I was like, "Oh my god, what? What are we talking about? What?" And you were talking about it in like a fun, imaginative, like artful yeah. way, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Because at that point on my process, kink was still or like fetishes were still like so shameful and perverse in my mind I wouldn't have said that out loud necessarily but my visceral response to those ideas was like oh god like it was always so vilified growing up like anything outside of vanilla missionary monogamy sex was like for the world and sinful and you know carnal and fleshly and whatever I've since like learned quite a bit about like acknowledging and becoming conscious of like kink shaming and judging people for that and growing in my own personal awareness of my own internal attitude and judgment against people being honest and willing to communicate about what they like and what they know I'm like how do you even know that you like that like, I would just judge them for those things um so I just would love for you to kind of share a bit of that part of this too because I think that's probably true for people listening as well like maybe it might be an area they don't even think about like of course kinks are icky and weird and gross and whatever. And I would never be with someone who wants or likes or fill in the blank, right? Like, do you want to speak to that? We consider a lot of folks consider anything outside of that sort of, um, and, I, and, and I don't even like to say vanilla because vanilla shaming is a thing too, right? But, but anything that is outside of that basic missionary one style this is it we're gonna we're gonna you know have sex for five minutes and be done and you know 
uh, because that's that's what we were told to do or that's what we think we're supposed to do or um, you know again it's divorced from pleasure it's divorced from desire it's divorced from all of those fantasy all of those kinds of things so we don't have to go into specific kinks I'm pretty sure I may have shared some things with you but um, um, I would you know, love just, for us to if you're willing to yeah oh yeah that's fine that's fine um, I think just some just some terminology so again not the expert here and I invite discourse and dialogue around this. And I, I hope that you get a lot of feedback um, in your inbox for this, but um, this, is not, this is not totally a definition, but just like some working definitions here. So kinks are anything that, here, here's the way I've heard it defined. Kinks are anything that you wouldn't tell your, that you wouldn't feel comfortable telling, telling your grandmother about, right? So like, I just think that's like a, so basically what I'm saying is like, Kinks for me, kinky for me, might be very different than kinky for you, Mike. And uh, with that, we have established that that, that is true. But um, <laughs> yeah, sex is kinky, like, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think I think that's a, I think that's from that jumping off point. Like again, it's not a clinical definition, but like that's that's a great way. There's you also use the word fetish. A way that I've heard this described or differentiated from kink is that fetish has to always be present in sex for you to for you to get off. Um, kinks may or may not have to be there. Now, I have heard it. I have heard that that is also problematic because, you know, that's not always true, but, but I, I think that that's an easy way to just sort of think about it. Helpful. Um, in my experience as a sexual explorer, I've had fun and experimented with a lot of things. Um, and I, I use the word experiment because it really is about experiment. Like we can set up an experiment, right? Experiment isn't permanent just because I'm like, oh, you know what? I've never played with restraints before. Let's play with restraints today. I may not have a good experience, right? But I'm gonna go in with a, uh, a level, I'm gonna go in like a student, right? I'm gonna be curious. I'm just gonna play around. I may like it, I may not, but I'm gonna learn something either way. When you play, especially if you are inexperienced, you know, make sure that you are, there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of trust if you have if you have a play partner right and that you're just constantly communicating throughout because it bad things can happen there is risk in everything right the risks the risks are not always visible the risk could be your reputation or the risk could be loss of a job or or you know someone takes a picture and it gets out there right so like there there are invisible risks too but always sort of do that risk evaluation for yourself right um but the more physical I mean, there are physical risks involved too so and there's a whole slew i mean imagine imagine it right like so um restraints rope for some reason my mind immediately went to bondage stuff but think about spanking some people like to be blindfolded right some people um like to do uh, domination and submission when we last talked about all this you were talking about like a japanese art form of tying uh, like yeah shibari kimbaku yeah so shibari yeah that's japanese rope bondage uh which i find to just be it's just beautiful google it but be careful um it's like i call it like macrame on the body there are some hardcore rope people who hate that um but but it's 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 an art form. Like it really is an art form. But it it is about um, it is about binding. It's special knots and um, again, hundreds of knots. Sometimes it may or may not include suspension. You know, hanging someone from a from a a, a point somewhere on a ceiling or a wall. Um, and they're, you know, they're all 
tied up and it's just beautiful, beautiful work, you know, and there are different levels of it, right? There, there are masters experience in this. If you're, if you're going to do this with other people, start out slow. Don't, you know, you don't become an Olympic swimmer overnight. So um, <laughs> again, this is about, this is about fun. We're talking about joy and pleasure, right? Don't do it. If Listen to your body, listen to your gut. If you are anxious because you're excited and you're anticipating something, okay. If you are anxious because you are afraid or scared, like have a conversation or maybe that thing isn't for you. Yeah. What would you say to someone who like, for example, listening to the Shibari, your description about it being artful and people tied up and suspended a lot. What would you say to someone who feels like I would say for me personally, when I hear that, there's a part of me that's visceral. I don't feel like super attached to this idea. I just know that it's like in me. There's a level of discomfort that's like, I feel, and this is going to come off judgmental probably, but it's just, I'm trying to be like transparent about what the Please. immediate reaction to that. Ideas like that are, is in me. I'm like, the person who likes suspending and binding somebody that makes me uncomfortable. Like, why does someone find that arousing? I'm judging that person for like, liking that or the person who wants to be in that position like in either context i'm like to me it feels like there's this dominating subduing restricting thing that's been sexualized my attitude is i think is still coming from a purity culture perspective but like that comes up for me like it makes me uncomfortable what would you say to someone like me or anybody else who's listening who kind of feels the same way what would you say is going on in us from your perspective around that yeah creme brulee and carrot cake mike creme brulee and carrot cake well, number one, it's fantasy, right? These people have opted into this. These people are choosing to do this. And the, the motivation, I'm not going to judge anyone's motivation. The motivation might be to work through some shit. The motivation might be just because they want that. They appreciate that. They enjoy that. The motivation might be that it's artful. There's, it's creative. Who knows what the motivation is? What I would continue to invite is curiosity. Maybe not even, you know, acceptance may or may not come later. But appreciation, right? Certainly. Um, but just curiosity, just be really curious. And since you just shared that with me, like, let's, if you're willing, like, do you want to talk about this? Like, I'm curious, like, what what you're actually feeling, and like, this is this is a real honest conversation. Can you talk about more, like, what you're feeling? Yeah, I think I'm just trying to be like honest about the initial response. I'm not committed yeah. to my reaction, but it is the honest reaction. I think what comes up is. When you talk about carrot cake and creme brulee, I'm like, okay, but in this experience, the judgment that I'm bringing to that those ideas, and I don't think it's just shibari or people being tied up. Um, that's just an example, right? But the thing that comes up for me is I'm judging the person. I don't see that as like, oh, they just like different things than me. I think I hear that and I'm like, oh, they like something that's dark, that's twisted, that's like predatory almost is like, I think maybe where that feeling is coming mm. from it feels like i'm i'm defensive i'm like oh this is going somewhere dangerous threatening and it's not because of any personal experience i have to it i don't have any experience i think i've been taught for my whole life to vilify and like demonize things like this and the justification for why it's evil is because oh because you want to tie somebody up it's like you want to like control someone else you want to like Sub, like get them to be submitted to your dominance and you want to have power over them and that's wrong and like you know that, that's kind of I think what comes up viscerally probably at least in terms of like consulting the narrative in my head that that feeling feels backed by I think yeah are there other are there other places and experiences in your life where that is also true 
where you feel, to use your words, controlled or dominated or better dark. Mm. Nothing comes to mind immediately, but I'm like, by default, I'm like, I'm sure that's true, right? <laughs> Probably, right? I don't have like an immediate example that I connect to about that. But, and I think also when it comes to sex though, in general, I think that I still have so much work that I get to do, like detangling from the purity culture toxicity that I intellectually acknowledge, like this is not for people's betterment. It's not for their good. I don't know that I've somatically been able to recover yeah. fully from the purity culture oppression, you know? I think, well, go back and listen to your description, but I would say that the church, we could, we could take, we could take Shabari out of it and say, oh, that's the church. Oh, this it's controlling. It's, it's this, it's that, right? It's about, it's about subduing, right? And, and that, that was, that was the impetus for my question is like, oh, like that's, yeah, of course, of course, that's your reaction. Because if we make all of that, all of that same description, right? For me anyway, and a lot of it, not on all church, but a lot of the church is that, right? It is about control. And so if that's, but that's good, the church is good, right? So, oh, but it's bad over here, right? And this may not, it's, it's making sense in my head. I hope it's making sense externally too. But, you know, I think that, um, I think that sometimes we make things bad or good based on our experiences. Or if this thing that I think is good is actually not good, good, I'm going to find other places. Is that stuff not dangerous? Of course it's dangerous, right? If Especially if you're working with someone that is not, what are you feeling right now? I, I don't know. I have emotion. You're... Yeah. This is what happened I... the first time I went on a date with you, Nick. My God. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, what are you? Yeah. What are you feeling right now? I don't know what I'm feeling. I, I mean, I have tears coming to my eyes, right? So that's when you said that's the church. I like immediately felt like defenseless and con, uh, convicted. I don't like in a legal sense, like I oh I'm pinned, like I'm guilty. That's true. You know, I've been found out or something. And when you said go back and listen to my description, and like if if I do that. And listen to the description, the reaction and judgment I had to the whole Shabari scenario, and I apply that to religion. Like, there's no part of me, and when you said that, that feels like I can defend that that's not true, that I don't feel that way about mm. that place. And so that I just it feels incriminating in a good and liberating way, but in a way that I wasn't expecting and wasn't aware of. And I feel I think again sad for Mike. Like, bro, how do you not know this yet? There's like a judgment there of like. <laughs> How did you not connect this? Like, you know, it, it seems clear in some ways immediately when you said that. And I think I feel exposed. There's like, there's sadness. I feel hurt. I think there's a lot of pain there. And I dare I would say trauma too of like, and not just from me coming out and deconstructing and leaving the church in such a painful way. But I think even before I ever stepped up and stood up for myself and said, no, I was still, and I don't think this is true just for me. I think it's true for a lot of people within religious institutions. There's so much personal subjugation and so now the language is going to come out and it's going to sound just like my judgment of Shabari, but there's so much personal submitting to someone else's dominance and so much like choosing to make something good that you actually feel violated by, that you feel restricted by and constrained and dehumanized, but it's good and it's how you're supposed to go forward and it's what you need to do in order to get whatever it's transactional. I feel victimized by myself, but the system let me go there, encouraged me to do this, enforced, empowered propagated this whole path I went down. There's a lot of stuff that came up, you know what I mean? And I feel a lot of things in a lot of directions and they're not, there's not just one person involved. There's lots of people and places and communities and locations 
and seasons of my life, but, and through all of it, like I made choices, you know? And so there's just like, I think that there are dimensions and mm. what, Nick, I saw that head turn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, first of all, thank you. Just thank you for sharing that and for being open. And I hope all that stays in because I want, I want your folks to, to hear this and see this because I think this is the work. This is, this is the work of liberation, right? Or in your words, the work of deconstruction. I just, I felt that and it was, it was really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. One more thing I want to throw in. I think another yeah. thing I feel emotionally is like judgments I've made about people with voices like yours who have chosen to not be ashamed of your sexual desires, your sexual experiences, advocating for and standing up for people's freedom to be sexually exploratory and allow pleasure, pursue and, and prioritize pleasure. Like there's something in me that has judged people like you for having those ideas or ex exercising that freedom. And so I think some of the sadness too is like, I think the work you're doing is good. I think it's justice and liberation. I think those words are appropriate. And I feel sad that I have like judged something that's good as scary, threatening, evil, you know, any of those things. And I don't think that's presently going on now, right? I'm having you on my podcast. I'm like, dude, do more of this. But I think underneath, like there, that's there too. And I'm like, people have been wrongfully accused and like condemned in people's minds because they said or advocated for or like embodied something that we don't get to have a freedom that we are not allowed to experience. And therefore you become the bad guy that we're going to tie up on a pyre and light on fire. So we don't have to face our own imprisonment. I guess mm. that also feels complex and is coming up emotionally as well. So I just want to throw that in the two, but like that does feel present in this experience. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. You know, it's interesting if we stay with this sort of Shabari example, right? Or kink in the church, right? you know, of course there's danger involved with that, right? As I said earlier, like Shabari is very dangerous. If you find someone, I mean, that doesn't know what they're doing. Like it could, if they tie it too tight, it could cause nerve damage. It could cut off circulation if you're in it too long. It could, you know, there, there are other things. If they're not communicating with you and you're not communicating with them about, you know, what's actually going on. The best sort of rigors, people who, people who give rope or take rope, Right? they're in constant communication right and they're they're learning together they're not just saying what the other one wants to hear they're being honest about where they are and what they're feeling and and they're working through that together right what i would also offer the head the head tilt that you saw earlier was you know you said you made choices and sure you made choices right what i would also offer is that in the case of the shabari the kink scene that's going on over here there's a lot of consent involved too someone in your position someone in your background a lot of the choices that you made may not have been informed choices, right? Or they may have been choices that weren't necessarily consensual. I hope I'm not projecting. I may be. So I just want to own that and name that. In some ways, you are a victim of the system, right? Like you are a product of the system that you were so entrenched in. Systems like the church or systems that are meant to oppress or keep people in line, whether they think they're doing something good or not have the tendency to victimize people to 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 really hurt people to traumatize people right so yeah you made choices sure you also made a choice to leave uh, and i want to celebrate that this is why i think it's important to explore and experiment because the way you feel about that stuff today is not the same way you're probably going to feel about it in a year and certainly the way you feel about 
sex today is not the same way that you thought about it a year ago, right? So like you're doing the growth work, you're doing the change work. And that's that's what all this is about, I think personally. In my experience, the erotic is uh, just another part of my, you know, it's just another tool that I use on the journey, right? It is a, it is a birthright, but it is, but it is a tool that I use on the journey. It's not the end all be all. Yeah, I talk about sex, but I think the more that we can invite curiosity in and suspend judgment. I mean, yes, we have those initial reactions. There are a lot of things where I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, okay, well, let me breathe through this. Like, what is actually behind this? Is it, am I judging it because it's different and I've been told that different is bad. Am I judging it because I have trauma around this and, you know, that would be bad for me to do? Or am I judging it? Sometimes a practice that I have, especially with an intense reaction, judgment or not, is asking, you know, how old do I feel right now? Or whose voice is that in my head? right? Is that actually my voice judging it? Or is that someone else's voice? Or is that a collective group of voices in my head telling me that that is, that is aberrant and bad and wrong and perverse or whatever? The more we have these conversations, yeah, we're doing this for a podcast, right? But you and I also had a very similar conversation. We've had multiple conversations at this point now. And, you know, I think the more that we do this with other people, the more we sort of expand our understanding and our awareness, right? This doesn't mean that you're going to go out and become some, I don't know, leather dom uh, and run a dungeon and, you know, <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that I think you begin to sort of let your guard down a little bit about that, right? That doesn't mean you shouldn't be aware of your of what's going on, but you're certainly not going to judge it. That takes a long time. Like me noticing at the top of this show about when I was talking about being in college and my internalized, you know, being aware of like this internalized homophobia that I was feeling. If you'd asked me that even yesterday, do I have internal? No, I've never had internalized homophobia. I'm not homophobic, right? I'm very sex positive. Oh, well, no, I did. Even when I thought that it was out and open, and I think we all do. It's it's part of it's part of the culture that we that we're in. Right. And again, take the church out of it, take religion out of it. The culture we have here in the States is also very puritanical. We were founded by a bunch of Puritans, right, who stole a bunch of land from from other people. In a lot of ways, we are repressed. Sex or sensuality or the body is bad. We need to keep it all bundled up and, um, you know, we need to be a bunch of G.I. Joes and Barbies. <laughs> we pretend that we we don't have genitals. I'm. This is a total tangent. I don't know where I was going with this, but... <laughs> Um, all this is to say, we're all just learning together. We're all just doing the work together. Love it. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate you walking me through that. Listen, we are unfortunately running out of time, so I got to land this plane, but I do want to ask if someone wanted to hire you as an intimacy coach, I get, you know, in whatever way that goes for them, how do they get a hold of you? What does it look like for people to work with you? Are you looking yes. to open having more clients? Um, they can go to nicholasgulick.com. There's a way to contact me through there. Oftentimes what happens is I have clients come to me and they, it's either for a business issue or they're just coming for a life issue. And I believe in this notion of whole person coaching, right? And that is our patterns show up in all aspects of our life. They show up in our financial life. It shows up in our spiritual life. It shows up in our work life, right? Like our pattern show up everywhere, whether we are aware of it or not. So you may be coming to me for a life problem, but more often than not, that's also showing up in other places. Now, that said, a lot of the clients that I attract, we also 
end up talking a lot about relationships and sex and and intimacy and, and those kinds of things. So I share all that to say that, you know, the way that I coach, yeah, I have a certain profile of, of client that I tend to attract, but I believe that you're a whole person. Whether you come to me for a sexual or intimacy or relationship issue uh, or not, we will probably look at all parts of your life. So yeah. Totally cool. Thanks. That's great. I love that. Nick, I mean, obviously there's so many things we, so many more directions we could go. I'm thinking we need to do another, a part two or three or nine or whatever we're doing. Thank you so much for jumping on here. Thanks for risking it with me and, and leaning in. And I appreciate your presence and intuitive response to that and I was not expecting to have an experience in the middle of all this but that's great I mean it's literally like I wanted to share you with the world um so that's great that that got to happen thanks for caring for me in this and for just showing up in the world the way that you do and sharing what you have and advocating for mm -hmm. what you do I think it's so important and so good and needed and people like me need to hear people like you saying what you're saying for the reasons you're saying them thank you this was a gift I'm so thankful we got to share this with people mm, thank you Mike it's been a pleasure being here with you yeah totally so everyone listen go check out Nick's website if you would like some coaching with Nick flood his schedule make him regret ever saying he was looking for more <laughs> clients just kidding Nick thanks again for being here we'll see you guys next time Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to dive deeper, check out MikeMayashiro.com.